Welcome to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. Today's podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Air Force Officer Spouses Club of Washington, D.C. And speaking of Washington, D.C., MSEC is thrilled to invite you to Washington, D.C. to attend the MSEC Global Summit July 18th through the 20th. We are back in person for the first time in two years with exciting sessions built on creating environments of belonging and connection for our military kids, parents, and teachers. So come network, learn, and engage with us. Find out more information at militarychild.org, and we hope to see you all at the MSEC Global Summit this summer. There's a lot of terminology out there when describing a child whose parents have served in the military. We're all familiar with the phrase military brat, Navy junior, and even mill kid. Now, some of these monikers still remain today, but I wonder, do they really explain who our military children are? So today we're going to be chatting with Chris O'Shaughnessy, who's an international speaker and author about third culture kids and how understanding this concept not only can help us as parents, but also our military kids as well. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor to be here. Well, I would love to just dive right in. This phrase, third culture kids, I've actually heard of it before. We had a parent come on the podcast uh, last summer talking about it. But for our listeners that are not familiar, would you mind sharing what that term actually means? Yeah, of course. Um, so the term third culture kid Actually, the, the definition has sort of grown and changed over the years. Various very clever people have, have been updating it. But in general, it refers to someone who spent a significant portion of their developmental years in a culture other than their parents' culture. And there's oftentimes some confusion over it just because there's numbers in there. I think the, the easiest two examples I've got to be able to explain it are that everyone has a first culture. Um, which is, you know, your official culture, your passport culture, your paperwork culture. And some people have multiple first cultures. Some people have multiple um, passports or nationalities or what have you. The second culture is experiential. And a lot of times we, we take for granted that a culture doesn't have to be a nationality. And I would, I would argue that the military itself is its own culture. Uh, and the third culture is really where those two things intersect and where you have room to move in between them. Imagery that I think makes the most sense is that of a hallway, that if you were to look at your cultural identity in a house, each room in that house could represent a different culture. So perhaps um, there's, you know, if you're American military, then there's definitely an American room. There's a military room and there could well be even more rooms. And what it is to be a third culture kid is not really that you jam them together, but that you spend time in a hallway in between them that connects them. So we have uh, international is a, is a great example. For instance, if you had, I have a German family who live in Singapore. And so uh, they, yeah, they, they speak German at home. They're, they're in the German room of their house. Um, but then their son goes to an international school. Um, and so he's got to, to take public transport through Singapore to get there, uh, which is a different culture and a different language than German. 
And then he gets to the international school, which has its own culture and its own values and beliefs and expectations. And he can't just shove all of those together. You know, if he speaks German in Singapore, he loses a bunch of understanding. If he treats home like the international school, you lose a bunch of understanding. So on a daily basis, he's got to keep these three cultures separate. He has to interact with them in their own space. And so he does, his life is, is made up with a hallway that connects those cultures. And that's really the heart of the third culture kid experience is they're people of the hallway. They're people who spend time transiting in between other cultures. So there is usually a degree of transience in that definition too. I find it really interesting that you equate the military lifestyle with its own culture, which it makes sense. We have our own language, we have our own customs. And so I think that's a really interesting dynamic to consider when you're looking at third culture kids. So why have you decided to make TCK such a focus? Oh, goodness. Well, for me personally, um, I am a third culture kid and I am a, I am a military kid. My father was in the U.S. military. Uh, I happened to be born on an overseas tour, and we lived overseas quite a bit. And so I, I did. I, I understood what it was to traverse cultures. But honestly, besides even the international traversing of cultures, uh, I distinctly remember going to college and realizing how distinct military life was, even from regular American life. So even without having to throw other nationalities into it, there was a lot of adjustment just to uh, figuring out life outside of the military. I mean, I had, as you said, it's got its own language. There were loads of acronyms that made perfect sense to me, but nobody else knew or cared about. There were a ton of things I had to translate. You know, I, I didn't understand that, uh, for instance, you know, the DMV is where you get your driver's license or, I mean, all of that stuff was relatively foreign to me. I knew pass and registration was on bases and I knew things like that, but there was a whole lot of translating that had to happen on base in theaters. I remember we, we would have the national anthem play before a movie. And so when I started interacting sort of in, in non-military life in the U.S., I'd go to movie theaters. And as soon as it got dark, I'd stand up getting ready for getting ready for them and they'd go do that. That's a purely military thing. And I had to play it off and just pretend I was stretching. I wanted to limber up before the, before the movie. <laughs> So, so there is for for me. There was there was a huge realization that there's something unique here with this play between those different cultures. And uh, I do. I think one of the biggest moves I remember that that helped me understand the importance for language happened when when I was quite young. We moved from uh, from the UK to the US, which is not that big of a cultural jump. I mean, it is roughly the same language. But I had gone to a small British village school. We moved from there to Nellis Air Force Base in, in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was a huge jump going from a tiny school uh, in a village to a great big public high school in the U.S. And there were so many cultural aspects there. Besides just British and American, um, there, was, there was the size of school. There was all sorts of things. And I remember getting into school in the U.S. and everybody stood up and put their hand on their heart and began reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And I had no idea what was going on. I'd gone to a little British school. I put my left hand on my heart because I'm left-handed. I could hear everyone saying very patriotic things. And so I thought, all right, what do I know that's patriotic? And as a small, you know, child from a small British school, I knew God Save the Queen. So I recited God Save the Queen to the flag of the U.S. with the wrong hand on my heart. Which could be construed as, you know, slightly disrespectful. And, and it took a lot of, of explaining to the teacher to, to be able to say, you know, this is, this is just new to me. I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. That cultural shift and trying to explain to my parents was really frustrating because I didn't have the language or framework 
to explain it to them. And this is something I found really common uh, with a lot of military kids is that even if they're not shifting countries, even if you're just moving around to the same bases within the US, there's a lot of cultural changes that happen. Uh, maybe the size of school you go to is different. Maybe just the culture of the area and state you're in is different from the last one you were in. There's a lot of adaptation that has to happen. And for third culture kids, again, being in that hallway that connects those different rooms, because you're influenced by everywhere that you've been and you take on a little bit, it helps shape who you are. And that doesn't have to be as vast as different nations. It can be as, as diverse as different states, different cities, different schools, but uh, military kids in particular, they deal with transients and they deal with these different cultures. Um, and it is, it, it makes them, it makes them who they are. And there's a great set of strengths and challenges that come with it. And I, I did personally, I became really interested, um, when I got older and, and learned about the term third culture kid that that applied to just about everyone I knew, everyone I grew up with was a military kid. So, um, so I, it was interesting to hear what we have to offer and, and what we probably need to address as far as challenges. Well, I think you have shared so much that our listeners would relate to, as you said, whether it's PCSing, there we are already using a military acronym, but uh, <laughs> moving from overseas back to the States or even just across the country, you know, every area is going to be new, have its own unique experiences and its own unique challenges. And I think that's one of the great things about the military culture is that it brings out this sense of adaptability for our kids, because as you, you shared, they're sort of working that hallway, going from room to room and learning how to interact with three different cultures. And as exciting as that can be, and I know there's some other great elements that develop as a result of being a TCK head. What are some of the challenges or possible impacts on our children that we should be recognizing? Yeah, well, I think there are. There's been a lot of work done on, on third culture kids, especially recently. The, the amount of research is growing great, which is just phenomenal. Um, but in particular, there are definitely a few things that the people have pegged as far as if you put together, you know, multiple cultural influences, which again, doesn't have to be nations. It could be different cultures between military and civilian or different uh, areas that you've lived even in the same country. But the influence of multiple cultures plus that uh, ingredient of transience definitely has has some effect. One of them that I think, uh, if I were to narrow it down to, to just a few, one of them I think um, is conflict resolution skills. We tend to find that for third culture kids, uh, and I would say this this absolutely applies, you know, to, to military kids who are important subset of TCKs, that conflict resolution can be a struggle. Some of this is because if you grow up in transients, you know, one of the safeties that we have in transients is we have the ability to make relationships disposable. Because of that, means that sometimes we don't have sort of the organic experience to give us conflict resolution skills that you might have if you didn't have transients. So if you grow up in one place around the same group of people, conflict resolution skills because you can't escape those people. So you've just got to make it work somehow. For a lot of military kids, PCSing and all sorts of other things, they don't actually have to make it work. If if they if they want, they can just make people disposable. So they just learn avoidance. I'm a huge example of this. I am terribly conflict averse. And I remember by the time I was in high school, we'd PCSed enough times that I knew very well if I got into a fight, a disagreement, or an argument with someone, I didn't have to fix it. If I just wait a few months, they'll move. And so you just learn a ton of avoidance. And actually, 
to be healthy, we need to learn more approaches than just avoidance. We need to learn, you know, a much bigger framework for dealing with conflict. So I think that's a huge one that I see consistently with third culture kids is the need to intentionally focus on developing conflict resolution skills. And some of that means for parents that we need to be able to model it really well. Yeah. For third culture kids, again, it's, it's not part of their organic environment and experience to be a whole lot of conflict resolution in action. So it needs to be modeled for them. They need to be able to see it and they need to be able to, to practice it, which means creating, creating some extra space and understanding the need to put those skills to work. So I also think unresolved grief is, is worth some attention. I think underestimates how much grief occurs in a move, whether it's international move or just a move country. Basically, every PCS means we lose a bit of who we were to that group of people. So in one school, you know, if you were if you were known as the funny kid or the drama kid or the kid who's good at football or you were known when you PCS, that all gets wiped away. You arrive somewhere new and nobody knows you. And so the part of your identity, it's like a social stock market crash. And you have to build it back up from nothing. And you have to do that quickly. Sometimes that means there's not enough time to express grief in healthy ways. And if we don't deal with grief, if we don't express the grief that builds up from the losses that things like PCSs uh, can cause, if we don't do that, it's going to come out anyway. And in fact, a lot of behavioral problems that we see in schools, uh, everything from obsessive compulsive to self-harm, eating disorders, sometimes those have their roots in unresolved grief. That if we can't express grief and it consumes us inside, we feel out of control. So we become super controlling in other ways. For military kids and TCKs in particular, um, learning to express grief in healthy ways is, is really a good thing. And I think one of the ways we can help with that is, is again, just to model it ourselves, to, to be okay saying, we're sad we've lost things as well. And naming those things, getting to express those things externally helps us feel we've resolved it internally. Um, and just having the time to do that. It's far too easy, I think. I've done it myself when it says something like, oh, I miss my friends where I at my last base. We're nice people, so we want to move them to happiness. So we want to say, well, don't worry, you'll make new friends. And that might be true, but there's no time for grief in there. There's no time to acknowledge that it's okay to feel sad for what you've lost. That grief is going to come out. So I think um, I think those two, those two in particular, I would say, are really big ones. And then maybe just to top it off with a, a third one, I think identity uh, is a struggle for more and more people. For for third culture kids, for for military kids, geography is is oftentimes, you know, so tied to how we describe ourselves. And so if you have a variety of geography, if you've lived in a, a bunch of places, that can get really confusing. You know, maybe you were maybe you were born in Texas, but you've spent an awful long time over in some other state. And so Maybe you feel maybe I should be more Texan, but but I don't feel Texan because I, I never actually lived there. I was just born there. Those kind of things can cause identity issues. And without a core sense of identity, uh, we find in students that they're so much more liable to uh, to influences, negative influences a lot of times. And it, it increases anxiety. We need to resolve who we are, where we fit in and where we belong. And that just takes a little bit of extra time. I think having the language uh, and framework to be able to explain what third culture kid is, to know that there's a word helps a ton, just being able to name what we are. Otherwise, we describe ourselves in the negative. I was born in the UK because of the US military. And a lot of times, you know, I was very familiar with the UK, but I didn't feel like I really belonged. But I, but I was American, but I hadn't really lived in the US. And so I didn't feel like I belonged there. And without 
without the right terminology, you can end up describing yourself just as a whole bunch of negatives, as a whole bunch of, well, I'm not quite this or I'm not quite that. So I think even knowing the term TCK can help with dignity. And that I think is a big, a big challenge that we need to help TCK work through. Well, I want to unpack this just a little bit more. But I want to start with what you had shared earlier about grief, because I think you're so right. You know, the experiences that we have that our children have, it's part of who we are. And it doesn't mean, you know, when we have new experiences, the old ones are erased or that we need to, you know, quote unquote, hit that reset button. And actually in your book, Arrivals, Departures and Adventures in Between, you talked about an acronym, another great acronym, you know, us military we love them Um, (laughs) we do love the acronyms we do yes we still use them uh so much every day so there's an acronym called RAF that i think originated from another author but can you talk about that just a little bit with our listeners and how you think that can relate back to helping our kids with that processing of grief oh absolutely yeah raft um i know i i didn't come up with that that's been uh used in TCK circles for a while, and um, I, I could be wrong, but I think Raft may have come from um, from a TCK book by Ruth Van Rieken and uh, Dave Pollock. New editions have come out uh, from Dave's son with Ruth Van Rieken and Michael Pollock, and uh, that book is is a phenomenal book. It's it's basically the guide for TCKs and their experience, and it's called uh, Third Culture Kids: The Experience of Growing Up Amongst Worlds. So. I think that's where this originally came from. I could be wrong. That's where I found it, at least. But RAFT uh, is a marvelous acronym because it's it's nice and short and sweet and tells you what to do. And um, RAFT basically uh, sets out the process for, for how to leave well, how to do transition well. And I think so the, the first letter R stands for reconciliation that um, you basically want to make sure and, and reconcile. You want to close off um, any open things you want to make sure that you've said what needs to be said. Um, make your peace, basically. Don't don't leave things open ended. And that sounds really obvious, but I'm a living example of you, you get short when you're about to PCS, and so it's just way easier to think I'm not going to see him again, so I don't need to talk. But actually, we are way healthier when we feel like we've closed things off. So that that first one is R for reconcile. The next one is A for affirm. And this one I think is so important because it's it's the chance to celebrate that you want to affirm the experiences that that you've had. You want to be able to affirm um, the goodness that you've got out of this place. Again, sounds really obvious. In the moment of PCSing, that can be hard to do because you know you're you're mostly worried about everything you're going to lose and say goodbye to, and the stress of where you're going to go and the unknown. And sometimes in all of that, we forget to actually take a moment and, and celebrate to actually think, wow, here's what I've grown from this chapter in life that's coming to an end, but what great things I've got out of it. And then the F is for farewell, which again, sounds really obvious, but we actually can be really bad at goodbyes. I can distinctly remember skipping out on uh, the last get togethers of say, you know, if I, if I were PCSing, you know, I'd, and I was in a youth group or something, I'd, I knew it was going to be my last one. I might just not go because I didn't want to say goodbye. That's super awkward. But actually saying goodbye is really important. It helps us feel a sense of closure and not even just with people, but being able to say goodbye to your favorite restaurant or park or a field or saying goodbye to places is important. I've been at uh, several installations that uh, one of them closed, several that I, I can't even go back to. And 
being able to have said goodbye to those places where I've built memories was really important. So F is for farewell, be able to say your goodbyes. Uh, and then T stands for think destination or think of the future. Basically that if you've done all those things, then then you have the chance to be forward facing. If, if you've really done your, your farewells and your affirmations and you've reconciled, you're free to be able to look forward, to keep on going. And that's, it's a power, it's a resilient power basically to know that goodbyes are tough, but more is coming. And I love that acronym because I realized that those are healthy things to do, but oftentimes I would do the exact opposite. I had sort of the anti-wrath would be my go-to. So R is for reconcile. Um, and I found that my natural instinct was to repress that instead if I was going to move or PCS, I was just going to push all those feelings down. I wasn't going to reconcile. I was going to repress, which is the unhealthy version. And A, instead of affirming, it was easy for me to get angry. Um, that actually, if I concentrate on it, it was easy to get angry. Why am I having to move? Why do we have to go to a new place? And, and I would store up anger instead of affirming. And the F instead of farewells, I just wanted to forget. But oftentimes I would think, all right, I have to say goodbye to these people. That's going to hurt. So I'm just going to forget all about them. That doesn't actually work. That's an unhealthy version. Whereas saying farewells is good. And because of that, the T, instead of being think of the future, the unhealthy version, it was very much think of the past. I, I would end up you know, dwelling on um, unresolved things. Uh, that grief was unresolved. I didn't affirm. I didn't farewell. I didn't, um, I didn't do anything to, to prep for it. So I love that acronym because, like I said, I can see an unhealthy version that I would lean toward and was pretty excited to know, actually, there's a framework you can employ that will help you do this well. Well, I think all of us would agree that we're all guilty of doing the anti-RAF from time to time. <laughs> I, I like how you easily. mentioned it. It does. It does. It's, it's, you know, taking those harder steps to go ahead and move past that grief, because when you, I think, move past that grief, grief that allows you actually to be open to new relationships, because if you're mm. ha hanging on to those feelings of anger or, um, you know, those feelings of that haven't been closed or addressed, then maybe you're you're less likely to be invested in your next location with making friends. You know, you're seeing yeah. that relationships are seasonal and, and is it really worth it? And, you know, so maybe for military kids and even for military parents, you know, your guards up a little bit more because you really haven't resolved. You haven't gotten on the raft, as you said. Yeah. Um, Identity, you mentioned, is one of the other challenges that our military kids can experience from time to time. I'm wondering, have you ever explored the concept of when their parent leaves the military? So in a way, they're leaving that culture behind. Would that mm. have an impact on their identity? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, from my own experience, um, when, when my father retired, all kind of weird things happened that I took for granted. For instance, this is one that that sticks with me now because it's so visceral. Is for most of my life up until I went off to college, uh, and I was you know you're able to keep an ID card just for a little bit longer even then. Um, barbed wire was a welcoming thing. Barbed wire meant I was almost home. You know, I I lived on or around military bases, and so those those big fences and gates and everything technically designed to keep people out actually registered to me as security and comfort and it was it was a really jarring experience once you know my my dad had retired once i lost my id card it was a really jarring experience to go to think i'm not welcome on there i can't go on base anymore that's 
that is no longer that is no longer suddenly barbed wire really does mean keep out it doesn't mean you're you're safe here um that was a huge adjustment uh and also just the the worry of being unrelatable you know the all the acronyms that made sense to me all the you know the pcsing and and the fact that you know mps delivered my mail and all of those kind of things you have all this language that that you suddenly can't go on a base where other people speak your language so it is i think it i can be really jarring and it's worth um i would honestly say it's worth employing the raft model uh, even just for leaving the military, we we sort of assume that must be for if you're moving to a new place or if you're leaving the country or, but actually that shift from from leaving military life that absolutely needs a raft because it is it's a massive shift in identity. You know, like I said, something that was once welcoming and and you were part of an exclusive. You know, you you got to go on bases that that other people don't, and that was normal. That suddenly you're on the outside like everybody else. That's it is a shift, and that. It definitely needs it definitely needs the same amount of attention um, that yeah that an international move uh, or a PCS would require. And I think we don't always consider that you know we're so caught up in the moment, but you know eventually mm-hmm. everyone leaves the military in some form or fashion. Um, you yeah. know whether it's retiring, whether it's separating, regardless. So I think that's really something fascinating to consider. I know certainly for myself as a parent, it's something for me to think about because my husband is retiring at the end of this year, and one of the first oh, things wow. my daughter, I know, what I, it's exciting after 26 years, but oh, one yeah. of the first things my daughter asks is, "Well, then, what are we? Who am I?" Um, You know, she's so comfortable being a mill kid. You know, my dad works on base. We live on base. And so you bring up some really interesting points that I think we as a family sort of need to navigate and have a discussion because I can't imagine having to give up your military ID card. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a rite of passage when they turn 10 years old to get that and then not to have it anymore. I think that's almost like to remove an appendage uh, because, you know, it's one of your most prized possessions and certainly terrible if you lose it. So, um, So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. So for parents that are listening, how can they, have a better understanding of TCK kids in terms of supporting their own children? Well, I think that knowing, first of all, knowing the terminology is, again, really, really helpful. That providing the language and framework is so incredibly important. I mean, there were so many times, you know, my my parents definitely cared about um, my experiences, but I I didn't always have the language to explain it to them. I remember I remember trying to explain to them, you know, my first days in school in Las Vegas, and it must have sounded like a crazy person because all I, from my experience, it was, well, you know, I went to school, there's a lot of kids and they, they don't seem to like the queen very much. And they really they <laughs> like it when I say water, because I, I had a little British accent. And, and I remember the kids just thought it was the greatest thing, how I, I would pronounce water, water. And they thought that was just the greatest thing. And I just didn't understand. So it was my explanation, you know, I didn't have the language for it. So I sounded like a little crazy person. So arming kids with language and framework, I think is so important, you know, as far as understanding this concept, um, the, the beauty of the concept is that there is, is there's a name for it, you know, and, and I think I've seen different reactions, you know, to, to the idea that there is a name for it. Um, 
And for, for military kids, you know, there's already that distinction that, yeah, they're military kids. Um, but knowing that there's, there's a wider phenomenon that they're a part of that actually, you know, growing up in transience with multiple cultural influences, um, that is becoming far more common. And I think one of the best ways parents can support uh, their kids is is by knowing that there are distinct uh, challenges and strengths that come with this. You know, the, the challenges that I mentioned, the working harder on helping form identity, that one is so key. Parents can help a lot by being very specific as far as the boundary between what in our identity formation is core and it should be relatively unchanging underneath. So usually our values and beliefs. Um, those should be core and, and less malleable. They should be more solid on the inner core. But then there's definitely a boundary and the outside of us is somewhat malleable. The outside of us changes depending on, you know, whether at work or at home or we adapt. Um, but there needs to be a barrier because if all of us is adaptable, um, then, you know, it's the whole adage that if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. So we need a, a core sense of who we are and parents I think can do a great deal of help just by um, helping discuss and be explicit about about that boundary, about what is bounded inside and core and what is outside and can be malleable. And so, and I think things like traditions are an example of something more malleable. You know, maybe, maybe you went to a certain restaurant for uh, birthdays when you were at one location, but when you PCS, you have to go to a different restaurant. Well, that can be malleable. You know, the, the value underneath it is core. The value is we celebrate birthdays. The expression of it is more malleable. So I think being able to live those things out and even with the other challenges, being able to demonstrate good conflict resolution skills is hugely important. Being able to demonstrate um, for kids that there are healthy ways to grieve. Those are all things that within this concept of being a third culture kid, we can help with and making them aware of the strengths. I mean, third culture kids are highly adaptable, which is which is such a great skill to have. They generally have, you know, broad relationship banks. They meet a lot of people because of all those moves and that's going to serve them well. So they're well practiced at relationships. Um, third culture kids have just had more experience making friends. That's becoming invaluable. That's a skill that is beginning to decline because because we can all just interact on social media now. And, uh, and so the ability to make friends, to build a community, TCKs and military kids, that's a huge skill. So being able to, as a parent to point out and emphasize these skills um, and being able to point out and help work on the challenges as well as provide you know, the language and framework, I think, I think that's a really important thing that we can do to help. Well, I think a lot of what you've shared today are military connected children and teens, they really would find relatable. So for those students, what final truths or maybe insights would you be willing to share when it comes to navigating life? Ooh, such a, such a good question. Um, I think so I'm, I'm wordy and verbose, so it's hard for me to distill things down, but thankfully, uh, they're very clever people who, who have helped me with this, but I think one um, one insight that I think helped me navigate life so much better um, was very simply to always try to process intellectually what I'm doing intuitively. And what I mean by that is that we do a ton of things off of intuition. A ton of things just happen on the inside. We intuit them. We we just realize, well, this needs to happen, so we'll do it. And and that's good. That's that's great that we have that intuition. Intuition helps you with moves. Intuition helps you relate to people. It's great stuff. But intuition stays on the inside. And 
if we can give it words and language and framework, then we can move that intuition to intellect. Intuition, you know, it, it, there's certain feelings that we have a word for, but it doesn't really describe them. And as soon as we can give language to it, then we can externalize it. You can bring something that was stuck inside of you, you can bring it out. And when it's externalized, when it has language, then it can be taught, it can be refined, it can be repaired, it can be shared. So I'm a big believer in the idea that we need to learn to process intellectually what we do intuitively. And I think, you know, for me, that was a really helpful thing. Raft is a great example of it. You know, the the intuitive part of me really did say, I'm going to repress all these things. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to try to forget people. And then I'm inevitably going to be stuck, you know, focusing on my past because I didn't transition well. All of that would happen intuitively, but adding language to it made it able to bring it on the outside to actually be able to name and say, yeah, actually I'm repressing this when, when actually what would be helpful would, would actually be to take it a different direction that I'm getting angry. And actually there's another option, you know, out there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think a huge truth is, is processing intellectually what we do intuitively. And that even helps, I think, with, with things like uh, grief, you know, one of the, one of the best things you can do for grief is to express it in a tangible means. You know, I've worked with schools where one of the assignments they, they gave to kids in an art class was they said, just draw me a picture of what loss looks like. And it was phenomenal. You know, uh, I think getting, getting the chance because, because for these students they had, they, they'd all moved, they'd all PCS, they were a bunch of military kids. And for them to put down on paper where they could see with an external sense, they could see with their eyes, a feeling that was stuck inside of them that helps bring it out. And that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge thing. So that would, that would probably be one of my, <laughs> one of my biggest uh, insightful uh, things is try to process intellectually, give words to what you feel on the inside intuitively. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing. I think you've uh, left our listeners with a lot of powerful information to, to take into consideration. If they are interested in reading more about TCK kids on your site, where, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I can be found, everything can be found on my website, which is www.chris-o.com. Um, mostly because O'Shaughnessy is my surname and it's just way too long. There's too many letters. No one's going to type that out. So it's just a nice, simple chris-o.com. And there's links on there. Where, uh, my book is available and uh, it covers a, a lot of this kind of thing. And my book was, I wrote it specifically so it could be read um, at a high school level. I wanted it to be accessible to students. I wanted it to be entertaining and informative. So it's it's got a lot of stories in it. Um, and yeah, there's links there to, um, where I'm, where I'm at on social media and things like that. And, uh, and also, uh, how to email me. And there are, there are a lot of other resources out there. So if anyone is interested, please do get in touch. And I gladly, gladly point you toward them. We really appreciate you coming on the show and chatting with us today. Been such a pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And for our listeners, all the information that Chris has shared today, we're going to put in our show's notes. So don't forget to check that out. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Thank you again to the Air Force Officer Spouses Club of Washington, D.C. for their generous support of this podcast. Don't forget to register for the MSEC Global Summit in D.C. this July 18th through the 20th. Find out more at militarychild.org 
backslash MGS. Until next time, live a great story.